great pleasure to introduce Joe, who has driven up today from Exeter and then stopped at her sister's house and then followed a sat-nav through dark country lanes, wondering if she was going to get here. Fortunately, she did. Would you like to join me? So I have known Jo from a distance for a number of years now. Well, I've, seen, I've had her a number of times at New Wine. And then we, we well, Jo made the connection. I had already made the connection that our son, Rich, used to go to her church in Exeter. So she knew him. That's nice, isn't it? So um, I, may I just pray for you? Yes. And then uh, I speak. So Father, I just thank you for Jo. I thank you for all that you have packed in her and how she follows you and hears your voice, and how you have gifted her, Lord, in her communication. And uh, I just don't want that to be a burden, Joe, as I pray you that <laughs> as you're about to speak. But Lord, just, I just pray that you would, uh, would speak through her tonight and bring words of life, words of wisdom, words of release. And bless her too, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much. And um, thank you. It's incredible sort of um, seeing the work that goes into these evenings um, from Sarah and this team. So um, thank you so much for, for all that you're doing to make these evenings possible. I'm really glad to be here. So thank you for inviting me. Um, I saw that somewhere in blurb that had obviously gone out at some point, I had said that I had married a would-be rock star. And when my husband just unfortunately happened to be leaning over me when I was tapping on my computer, he saw this and his face was crestfallen. And so I felt I had to put a few things right before I start. So I don't know how much I need to say about me. Uh, so if you're bored of talking about me, then just sort of start going like that at me and I'll know it's time to move on. Um, I don't know if any of you know Alan Wicker. He is, I believe, dead now. Um, but he did a thing called Wicker's World. And the thing that eventually got me married to John was Wicker's World because we had met at a uni up in Durham and we'd had this brief moment of chemistry, uh, which was very brief. And then um, we'd gone our separate ways. He'd gone to Africa and I went to work with Jackie Pullinger in Hong Kong. Uh, and it was there that Alan Wicker came to Hong Kong. He put his hand on my knee and said in, to the camera... What is a lovely girl like you doing in a place like this? Um, because I was surrounded by gangsters and heroin addicts and um, fair question, I suppose. But by God incidence, John was watching the telly back home and saw this interview and had this epiphany moment that he had let me slip through his fingers. So he wrote to me telling me he loved me, which I said, how do you know? You haven't seen me for ages and um, we're nowhere near each other. But when I eventually got off a plane, he was waiting for me. Quite good effort. Um, and then we had two more goes at sort of going out, as we called it then, um, which neither of which worked. So um, I then, long story cut short, I wrote him a letter, which I still remember underlining things like, do not write to me, do not telephone me, <laughs> We are not to speak or meet. Uh, hope that's okay with you kind of thing. You know, that's enough now. By this time, my parents thought he, and my family, I think, you know, thought he was a monster. Um, 
But funnily enough, the next time we spoke, he asked me to marry him. <laughs> so I've never heard of anyone else who's gone from not speaking at all to getting married. Um, but actually, this year we've been married 25 years. So it's all good. All good. <laughs> and uh, I have Alan Wicker really to thank for that, I think. And so just to clarify, I, when I did marry him and when we were engaged, he was a rock star. If you had asked any of his fans... Though they were small in number, they were very committed and um, he really did do a full-time job in a, in a band and gigging all over the place. I hardly saw him. So we, we think he was a rock star, don't we? And I, I've corrected, I've, I've put us right, I've put the record straight on that one, which I'm very relieved about. Um, but the next shock for me was that having been married to a rock star for a few years, um, he then decided he wanted to be a vicar. And um, I wasn't at all from Anglican church. And in fact, my mother didn't think Anglicans were Christians. So um, he went forward for selection, got turned down. And my mother was like, that's an answer to prayer. Um, so, and I didn't know what to think. I was reeling uh, from thing to thing. But then a year later, a bishop overturned that decision. And we went forward uh, to train for the ministry. I only went. I had no intention of studying theology. I didn't know what theology was. Um, but somebody, and this, this I think is something to do with us this evening, somebody said to me, who I didn't even know that well, have you thought about also studying um, when John goes off to study theology? Honestly, it would have never occurred to me, so I said no, not at all. But then somebody sent me a check to help with my fees at college. So I began to wonder whether I should even consider studying. And I ended up, we did go, we went and studied together. We then worked for two other churches together. Then uh, we worked for a church in London. And then um, <coughs> we, we felt God was calling us with no, no sense to it at all to start a church in Exeter. We knew nothing about Exeter. There was no sensible reason to go. Um, but when we eventually asked the bishop there if we could come and start a church, our idea was to start a church for people who don't like church. And um, he, and perfectly understandable, wrote back and said, don't come. <laughs> so again, we were like, oh, Lord. But it turned into one of those things where you couldn't not go. I don't know whether you've ever had one of those moments. So we moved everything with no, um, you know, well, uh, you know, we had no guarantee of a home or, a, or an income or anything, really, um, but landed in Exeter. And um, in fact, a few years on, we came in under the fence back into the Anglican fold. So we are now a bishop's mission order in the Anglican church. We don't have a parish or a building, but God has blessed us. And um, we've planted two churches in the last year, and um, we have a lot of fun. With lots of students and um, some amazing, wonderful people. We run a debt advice center and we have the most incredible stories of people meeting with God through that. Um, and now, the funny thing that's happened over the last few years is that someone cajoled me into teaching a bit of theology. So I find myself teaching a module for a degree which is about reading the Bible well. Trying to read the Bible well so that we're not reading the Bible um, as a... As, as a tick box that we can tick, we're not reading the Bible or, to, or getting people to read the Bible so that they'll do what we want, but we're really getting, experiencing transformation and freedom from the interaction of the Holy Spirit with, um, with, with the Bible. So that's become a real passion of mine. And I can't help thinking that it was from that one chap coming up to me and saying, had you thought of studying at all? And 
I, I wanted to encourage you that maybe there's somebody here, I felt like there was, who you just need to, that is something God has given you to do, is ask the question. When you ask the Holy Spirit to let you see what's on people, and then just ask a question. You don't have to sort of, you know, do a massive kind of, um, <laughs> um, you know, the and thou prophecy over them in particular. Sometimes it's as simple as asking them a question. When you see, you see what could be. And I just felt that might be something that someone tonight really needs to go and do because you've got a gift for that, I felt. And it's made all the difference to me. Um, and it's sort of like God's joke to me, really, that I've ended up teaching theology. But often God is like that, isn't he? He sort of is the curveball thing that turns into something he's, he's asking us to, to take a risk on. Um, so I have taken a risk this evening in that I had a dream about this evening earlier on. Well, a couple, uh, maybe 10 days ago. And this, what I'm going to say, wasn't what I was going to say. So um, I hope this will mean something to somebody in particular. Um, but it will require you hanging on with me, um, especially for about the next 10 minutes. So, so don't give up on me. Hang on. Um, because we're going to read the Bible together. And I want us to read three times to kind of... Um, mine into the seam of this fantastic story that we're going to look at tonight. And the first reading I want to do with you is called, I call it anyway, a reading of wonder. And it was extraordinary last night. I don't know if every, any of you <coughs> watched the telly with them children in need. It's almost sort of un, unbearable and hugely inspiring at the same time, isn't it? But children are incredibly brave and inquisitive, and they can mix tragedy with laughter and fun, can't they? I mean, it was mind-blowing. Um, but one of the things I like about children is that they always ask the questions, they're curious by nature, aren't they? And sometimes that's slightly beaten out of us, I think, by life. So I wanted to come back to doing a reading of wonder. And what I mean is, we're going to read this passage together, and I want you to come to it, if you can, with a childlike spirit. And um, there was a thing in the papers just this week about um, children coming home from doing science at school, I don't know if you read it, and asking their parents questions like, how do stars stay in the sky? Or why is the sky blue, mum? How do onions make your eyes water? One deep one, if light comes from the sun, where does dark come from? And then one, I should think some of us are in awe that it's about to come up, will be that question, how does Father Christmas get down the chimney? Children are excellent, aren't they, at asking questions. And the sad thing was, it said here, that 83% of UK mums and dads were unable to answer the questions their children asked. And in a way, that's not surprising. They're incredibly profound. But what they tended to do, 63% said, they would tell them, a wrong answer, something they knew wasn't the truth because they were embarrassed that they didn't know the answer. And then it said another 61% said they were actually afraid of being asked questions by their children. So the funny thing was it made me think about the actual gift it is to us that children ask questions and actually science is in a way about asking the questions isn't it and so I don't know I got excited about the idea that we as parents could say do you know what that's a really good question and not be afraid of questions and not necessarily trying to kind of close something down and leap to give someone an answer but just enjoy asking the questions 
and really enjoy also saying, do you know, I haven't got a clue what the answer is to that question, but I, why don't we find out if we can see what the answers are? So children are a real inspiration, I think. So what we're going to do, I want you to, I want, I'll read this. I think you've got it written in front of you, but maybe this is one for listening. I will read it to you, and um, as we read, I want you to ask yourself, what, what questions do you want to ask of this story? Okay? Do, do you know, so, yeah, I'll help you at the end with a few questions if you, if you don't know what I mean. <laughs> but it's sort of it, a, a thing that starts with, I wonder. What does it make you wonder about? Okay, so you're not trying to get to the answers. You're not trying to tell each other what it means. You're, what does it make you wonder about? So we're going to read Luke 24 together. And my hope is by mining through some of these scenes, we're going to get to a place where we actually really encounter God by the Holy Spirit in this story. And that's what I'm very excited about. So here it is. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with him went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he broke bread, blessed, oh, he took bread, sorry, blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And that same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. 
They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. It's a great story, Jesus risen from the dead. Um, So what I want you to do is with about three others around you, Ask yourself, what what does this story make you wonder? So all you're allowed to say is, it made me wonder, blah, blah, blah. You can't answer their wondering. Even if you know a brilliant answer to what they're wondering about, don't try and answer the question. Just tell each other what you are wondering. Okay, so the rule is no, no answering questions. No trying to think of the right answer. Just tell someone near you, or three or fours or whatever, gives you a chance to get to know someone as well. What did it make you wonder? Did any questions come to your mind as, that, as you were listening to that story? Is that okay? So you have a few minutes. Do you know if you're um, someone who gets to teach others, you may be used to jumping in with the answer. I don't know. What does it make you wonder about? Let's have a few if we can hear you. Has anyone got an example of a question it made you ask? Yeah, so it makes you wonder why Jesus didn't choose to reveal himself sort of early on in a more obvious way. Good question. Yes, it made you wonder why those disciples hadn't interpreted the law and the prophets in such a way that they already had a better clue about what was going to happen next. Good question, yeah. Yeah, so it made you wonder whether Jesus is sometimes with us, almost waiting for the opportunity for us to ask him to stay. And, and maybe sometimes we miss that. Yeah, yeah, good question. Good wonder. Yeah, very Initially. good question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, why didn't they recognize him? Did others of you have that question? <laughs> That's a popular one. Yeah, anything else? I can understand they didn't recognize what he looked like, but why didn't they recognize his voice? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Good question. (laughs) Yeah. Anyone else bursting with a question? I, I had a question. I find it really fascinating. So I wonder why Jesus asked a question when I'm pretty sure he must have known the answer. Yeah, good. Excellent. Thank you for doing that. It would be, I mean, I wonder what it would have been like to be walking along with him and hearing him interpret everything about himself from the all through scripture. Wouldn't that be an incredible sermon to have been listening to? Um, incredible. What would that have been like? Excellent. Thank you. So we're going to do one more reading, which is a reading of information. So we've done a a reading of wonder. Now we're going to do some reading for information. And I'm trusting that between you, you've either read a little bit this story before, or as we read it, you just begin to notice things. Something strikes you. Has that happened to you when you've read the Bible before? So all we're doing this time, and then I'm going to throw in about four things um, that, that, I, that I know, I think I know anyway, about this passage that I think will throw light on what it could mean to us tonight and how God wants to meet with us through the interaction of the Spirit and the Word right here now. 
Um, so I'm going to read it again, and I want you to just be open to noticing things. And if you've already read this passage before, or you've heard someone talk about it, or maybe you've read a commentary or something like that, then try and bring that back to mind so that you can share good information. Because that's, that's the kind of circle of understanding that we go on, isn't it? We wonder things, we help each other to understand, then we come to the same passage with some new understanding, and we go on and on from there by the Spirit with, with greater and greater understanding, don't we? So we can help each other in that. So I'm going to read it really quickly this time, and um, I want you to notice, and notice that anything you might notice, if you don't notice anything, it doesn't matter, and then get back into your groups and see if anyone can inform if you can pull information together about this story and and then I'll get to <laughs> um, throw my information in too so listen listen again now on that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened while they were walking, uh, t- talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, what things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. What's more, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. Because it's almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour, they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, the Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them in the breaking of the bread. Okay, so just quickly, in case anyone of you is carrying a real gem about this story, turn back into your groups and pull your information. 
Because when we read the Bible, we read it communally. We read it together. That's the best way to be reading the Bible. So I'll give you another couple of minutes to do that. Okay, maybe you've had time to know something you didn't know before. Uh, Does anyone want to um, shout out a few things that you think you might have thrown into the pool of information about this story? Um, it struck me that uh, after all they'd seen when they were with Jesus, um, they were still focusing on the wrong thing. Because it says that they'd hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, but in a natural political way, not yeah. you know, spiritual yeah. way. Yeah, good point. Mm-hmm. Interesting to note that um, the disciples' eyes weren't open, actually. Um, they didn't recognize Jesus as such until they were, he brought bread with them. And it's like, to me, it's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole um, wealth of information here in that when we read the word of God and we sort of share his, his, his word, then our eyes are open spiritually and we can actually feast on the word of God and, you know, be enlightened that, with, with his word. Yeah, very good. Nice. Very good. And actually, it's an interesting word, feast, because that was the word that Sarah had for this evening. Um, I noted that they were sad. Uh, we had, they, it says they were looking sad, but we had hoped, and they had disappointment, and that disappointment can blind us to Jesus' presence. But then later on, it's, it says they say, stay with us, Jesus. So when they welcome Jesus into their situation, their eyes are opened to him. Yeah, wow. Lovely. <laughs> That's good information there. Yeah, anything else? We go on and that we start by hearing something and then our eyes are opened. And But we end our journey, hopefully, though we don't always, by going out and discipling teaching and telling others yeah. instead of keeping it to yeah. ourselves. Yeah, very Because of very the great good. love that yeah. Jesus shows for yeah. us. Yeah, Thank good. You. Yeah, there's definitely a sense of a journey going on in this story, isn't there? Um, anyone else bursting with a point of information? Well, that, that's excellent. Thank you so much. You picked up on some really important things there. And, um, and what I want to throw in as my information, you may end up not really agreeing with me, and that, and that is okay. Um, <laughs> so, so see what you think. Um, but one of the things I wanted to bring, because then we're going to pull our information, then we're going to go back and read again, uh, just asking God to, to sort of... Um, you know, well, you know what I'm talking about. You can read about something, can't you? But we've been given this incredible opportunity to actually encounter the truth where it hits our own lives, it hits our own circumstances, it hits our own hearts. So that's what I'm really going towards. Uh, but on the information front, I've got something I think is really interesting to say. And that is um, that sometimes the writers in, um, in the Bible, this gospel, Luke, um, has sown the truth and meaning and things that are central to understanding, they've sewn that right into the, the, 
the shape of the passage itself. And sometimes in our translations, that's actually hard to even notice. Um, so in the original Greek, did you know this? You know, like when we speak all the time now in texting or in emails, you get bold, you get capitals, you get underlinings, you know, you get at least a full stop and an exclamation mark. The thing is, when you come to look at the original um, manuscripts of the Gospels, that they, they didn't have much, by the way, of punctuation. They didn't have lowercase and uppercase. So they wrote what we might call capital letters. Do you know what? They didn't even have gaps between the words. So do you see what I mean? They didn't put their emphasis and meaning so much in punctuation or in underlining or in bold. They often wove the thing they wanted readers and listeners to pick up on into the actual pattern of the story. So... A lot of scholars, a lot of Bible scholars believe that this is a really exciting example of what they call a chiasm. And you may have, you may have done that in English literature, looked at chiasms. What it is, is the Greek letter chi, which is an X. It's, it's a passage that is shaped like an X because symmetry is important and there is something really important at the center. Okay, so like, like the letter X... Symmetry is important. There's a beautiful symmetry there. And, it, and there's something in the middle that's going to be like a key to the whole story. So you can see if you think I'm right. Because many, it's not really me. Lots of scholars think there is a chiasm in this story. So what we're going to do now for just one second is look at the, this passage you've got written down. If you've got a red pen, so much the better. What I want you to do is see if you can find any clues that this might be the case. And excitingly, let's see if we can find what is at the center of this story. Okay, so you're looking for symmetry. Do you know what I mean? Can you find one, one easy example, I think? Say you're looking for symmetry in the story. In other words, you're looking for something that's the same at the very beginning and the very end. And then you're going in and in and in and in to see if you can find what's the key to the thing, what's at the middle. So what do you think's at the very outside that looks like a symmetry? I know this is like, this is like sorry if this is like, yeah, my goodness, I've been transported back into my English class. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Can you see that? What is even further out than that, I think? Yes, exactly. Can you see that? You, you tell me if you think this is completely made up, because I will accept that from you if you would like to argue that. But this story starts in Jerusalem, doesn't it? And then if you go right to the end, they're back at Jerusalem. So that should make you think, hmm, hmm, is that actually shaped in a certain way to give us some clues about what this story means? Because you're absolutely right. The next thing in is that they, they, they don't recognize him. And then if you pop down to the end... You see, they do recognize him. So what is at the center? Take 30 seconds to see if you can see if you agree with these amazing scholars who know about the Greek. It's not even necessarily right in the, you know, the middle in terms of the verses. So that's a bit um, disorientating. 
Anyone think they might know? So exciting. It's like a kind of treasure hunt, I think. Three words. It's right in the middle. It's the key to the whole thing. Could be hearts burning. A bit more at the end, do you think? <laughs> yeah. It is. It is. Those three words. Jesus is alive. And I'll, I'll show you what they think is um, the symmetry there. And you can see, if you've got a red pen like me, you might like chunk, chunk, um, mark it in and see if you agree. So they say this story starts in Jerusalem, verse 13, ends in Jerusalem, verse 33. And then, as you said, verse 16, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And where's it gone? 31. So their eyes are shut, basically, and they don't recognize him. Then 31 says their eyes are open and they recognize him. Then there's a bit of interaction. You know, that's probably not quite so interesting. But in 19 to 21, you get this idea of the summary of the things. They talk about the things about Jesus of Nazareth. And then, I mean, maybe this is more obvious in the Greek than it would be to us in the English. But then if you skip down to 27, it says then Jesus himself interpreted to them the things about himself. So they're talking about the things about Jesus of Nazareth. And then it's exactly the same phrase. He talks about Jesus himself talks about the things about himself. And then um, verse 22, 23, you get the empty tomb and seeing a vision, they see angels. They come to the empty tomb and they see angels. And then if you skip across what's possibly at the middle, you get the very next bit talks about the empty tomb. So the tomb's the same. That's where the symmetry is. This time it says they didn't see him. So again, they see something at the tomb and then you jump across. They see, they, they, they're at the tomb, but they don't see anything. That leaves you with this amazing tiny three words in the middle of this story. And scholars believe that that is the pivot to the whole thing that Luke is wanting you and I to know today. And that is that Jesus is alive. And do you know what? I sometimes hear that and I'm, I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But actually, we have to ask ourselves, I think, why does that make all the difference in the world. Why does that matter so much? You know, you're absolutely right that they come back to the exact same spot where they started out. And in a way, nothing's changed as they go back. In a way, everything's the same. But because of what they've seen, because of what they've understood, everything's changed. And everything is different now. And you touched on that as well, because they go from disappointment, don't they? Real confusion, real sadness. But they come to a place of huge excitement and hopefulness. And we don't get it necessarily again in the English, but it says basically they jumped up and they pretty much run back to Jerusalem. They're not dejected now. They're not dragging their feet. They are hot-footing it back. And as you said, they are energized. They, are, they know they're on a mission now. 
So they have been changed by this encounter, by this moment of recognition. They've gone from disappointment to hope, from sadness to joy, from disillusionment to purposefulness. From dragging their feet to being energized, to knowing they are on a mission um, to change the world. So it's, it's slightly ironic, I think, that they actually see Jesus bodily, but they don't recognize him. And then did you notice that it said they recognize him? And what happens next? He vanishes. Extraordinary. Somehow, in that moment, in that encounter, in that, in that realization that Jesus is alive, everything changes. And even though he's vanished in bodily form, we know, don't we, that he sent the Spirit and said, I am actually with you always. They are filled with hope, even though he's just vanished. Extraordinary. So there's something about a journey of seeing There's something about Jesus being alive, making a difference to everything, even though they're going back to where they started out. And what I also love, and again, you may disagree with me, and that is I I think Jesus must enjoy the conversation. It seems to me that the way he asks questions, what things, I mean, if anyone knows what things, it's him. It seems to me that he actually enjoys giving you and me an opportunity to walk and talk and to even to tell him how disappointed we are. He seems to open up the opportunity for that conversation rather than just say, guys, I'm here, it's me. I don't know, is that me? You might think it is. (laughs) I don't think so. I can't think why else he would ask questions. Why would he walk along with them for so long, letting them tell him how very disappointed they are? And then why would he, he seems to me to actually enjoy explaining how everything fits together. How actually because he is risen, they can look back and see everything differently. And they can look forward in huge hope and purposefulness. Seems to me he enjoys that process. He likes the journey. And he's the same when you think about parables, isn't he? It must have sometimes been really frustrating. Because when people ask Jesus a question in the Gospels, he often asks one right back. And the way he taught was often parables, wasn't it? In parables, where I think I would have been left, you know, like, what? What did he say? What did he say? What do you think that meant? I have no idea. What did that mean? Why does he do that? The other interesting thing that you touched on was this moment where this passage says he made as if to walk on. That is like Jesus play acting, isn't it? He's pretending. He's opening up an opportunity for them 
to urge him to stay. I find that staggering. He, it means something to him that you should choose him. That you should urge him to stay. So there's something about this, the journey, something about being transformed on that journey, something about not forgetting to have the conversation that he's inviting you into and not forgetting the moment when he opens up a choice because he's so kind, he's so good. He's waiting for these disciples to grab him and say, stay with us. And I have a, a little story of my own about disappointment. And I know, um, you know, it seems in a way a small thing. But certainly in my life, I've, I've had the experience of, of being disappointed. I, swear, I, I mean, we're all women here. I can tell you this, can't I? Um, it's, if it's too much information, I do apologize. Anyway, we had a lovely boy, a child, a boy, a baby boy. And then um, discovered we couldn't have any other children. And we went through a few years, and honestly, looking back, I sometimes think of all the other things people are going through, and I feel almost embarrassed. But I was so, I was, I was shocked. I was so shocked um, that this was going to be us, you know, that, you know, our son wasn't going to have brothers and sisters, and surely this is something God would want. If we prayed enough, if we went to see enough people and got some prayer, wouldn't God do something? And sometimes in my head, I began to imagine the God story. In our church, we talk about God stories. People come with their God stories. And I thought, Lord, surely you must want to, me to tell a God story. You must want to give me this amazing God story that I can tell about how you, how you intervened, how you allowed us to have other children. Anyway, years went by and um, it became apparent that whatever else, good things God was doing, he wasn't going to give us any other children. But what I, what I came to and, in, and what I realized was that although in my life I went on encouraging others in their faith and um, encouraging people to keep praying for healing and expect God to do something, as the years went by, something in me was still disappointed. I was still disappointed. And I realized the more people told me their stories of where God had done something, the more I, I, I just felt really angry and resentful. And I began always, when someone told a story about what God was doing, I would think of a story where he hadn't done anything. And one day I just got sick of it myself. I thought, I can't go on like this. And I, and I got help, basically. I went around searching for stories that instead of feeding my full-on unbelief by then, would feed my faith. And sometimes it was a bit corny and, you know, you'd, you know, anyway, yeah. Um, I had to sort of listen, I had to listen to worship. I had to listen to talks from around the world. I had to ask people to pray for me. I had to repent of my own unbelief. But I had to do something to choose not to live in disappointment. And, and I can honestly say, although, although I know in this room there will be stories that are, you know, that, that um, have much bigger disappointments attached to them. I know that the enemy was, was jumping on the back of that loss for me 
and, and carrying it forward into my future. And he has no right to do that. So I can truly tell you that has gone from inside me. That disappointment's gone. And I know I had to make a choice with that. The, the other thing about that urging God to stay moment is, funnily enough, a good friend of mine last week um, told a story. She's a very private person, but it was the first time she'd told this publicly. Her 15-year-old boy is a dancer. He's a ballet dancer. He's a fantastic dancer. Um, but one night, she heard a thud. He's about 15, and he was fitting on the floor, and she went downstairs, and she thought he was dying. And so she, they called an ambulance, but then she found herself speaking life to him. And I think that came as quite a shock to her because she's only a small woman and she prayed with great authority. Uh, but over the phone, um, they, they investigated what was wrong with her son and it turned out he had got um, a knot of arteries in his brain that had actually been there probably for many years, which um, was pushing on something or other and ca causing this fitting. But it meant that um, they said, if he knocks his head at all, um, he will probably lose his speech, movement down the right side, and he may, he may die. And so um, they said, we don't know whether to operate or not. So she, went, she waited a whole year while they tried to find the right team of surgeons in the right moment because of all the risks associated with actually operating. And it was very sweet because she told me when they were on the phone one time telling her the full the full results of the test that he had had. She said she stood there and almost the voice on the other end was sort of gone away from her because she knew she had a choice then to say, this, this is it. This is my moment. Am, am I going to choose Jesus now? Am I going to choose worship? Am I going to pursue his presence? And ask, you know, and, and am I going to say to him, here I am, <laughs> And she did. She chose that. And she said she sometimes came to services and, frankly, you know, she felt far away from everybody clapping and doing their thing. But nevertheless, she chose to say to God, here I am, and you are good. I'm going to pursue your presence, and I'm going to worship you, whatever happens. And very beautifully in her story today, as we speak, um, a national director from one of the schools of ballet um, in the country, has come to his house to speak to him about dancing in part of um, a piece that they're doing, and if he doesn't feel confident enough to dance, um, to help with the choreography of this piece. And it's because they've heard his story and heard that he, you know, he had an operation, he is recovering. And she said, you know, she's just sort of blown away that so much has been gifted back to them um, after she went through probably what, if you're a parent, you can hardly imagine having to live with for a whole year and uh, not knowing um, if your son would live or die. Uh, but we have these moments, don't we, when God is asking us to choose. And it's not, it's because he's so good that he creates opportunities for us to choose him. He creates opportunity for us to choose hope and let disappointment go. Not live out of what I was used to say, what isn't happening, but to choose to begin to live out of what I, what I can see of what God's doing and what I trust, which is that he is good. Uh, so those are a couple of stories. But now what I think would be good to do is to say, let's make a journey with Jesus in our time now. Oh, sorry, have I gone on? Uh, no, we've still got a bit of time. Good. I will read this and what I'll do... <coughs> 
I, I will pause at several points, and I just want to give us the opportunity to do this journey with Jesus. It's nice because this passage tells us the name of one of the disciples who makes this journey, and he doesn't name the other one. So it would be great, wouldn't it? Let your name be um, on that other disciple for a moment. <laughs> and let's read it together. And if you know you need to tell him, when he says what things, tell him what's in your heart. Maybe you're feeling really hopeful about things, tell him. If you need to say, I had hoped, tell him that. Because extraordinarily, staggeringly, he actually wants to do that with you. He's got the time. So the question is, sometimes, have we? <laughs> okay. Now, when we come as well to the table with Jesus, see what he is doing. See what he's saying. What do you want to say to him? So it's a bit of imagination here, which, again, children are very good at, and sometimes we grown-ups are a bit less good at. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to read this again. And this is what I call a reading for encounter. Because if Jesus is alive... If he's alive, if that was what Luke wanted us to know, the question for you is, if you started out in Morton-on-the-Marsh, wherever it is you live in the Cotswolds, I live in Devon, so I'm not sure about the Cotswolds, but you are going to return to many of the same situations that you came from this evening, aren't you? And some of them are you're wrestling with, or they're not what you would have hoped for. But the thing is, Jesus is alive, and that, if Luke's telling us anything, changes everything. So I'm going to pray that we actually get some understanding, we get revelation even, about what that means as you return to where you came from. Do you see what I mean? Cool. Okay then. So let's read together. You might want to listen this time. Shut your eyes and really um, welcome the Spirit. Welcome Jesus to come and walk with you because he's alive. Encounter is possible. It's normal. Now, on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a mighty, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. So Holy Spirit, we just want to take a minute for you to ask you to sanctify our own imaginations. And to come and journey with us. So tell him what it is you're hoping for. Tell him what you're disappointed about. 
we need to know again that he's okay with your questions. He's okay with your disappointment. He likes the, the, the conversation with you. And what he really likes is that you are talking to him. <laughs> and some of our church friends even can be a bit quick to come in with an answer. <laughs> but Jesus actually is a very good listener, I think. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb earlier this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. Then he said to them, oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with the prophets and all uh, Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. So in your own heart, maybe you have been confused or disappointed. But he is creating an opportunity even now for you to grab hold of him and urge him strongly to stay. It says, so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. So just come and sit down now at the table. If you watch him take that bread and break it and bless it, It's a reminder that he himself had just gone to the limits of human suffering. He just poured himself out utterly. So that this meeting now is possible. Just watch him press that bread into your hand. And take a minute to say what you want to say to him. And you might be surprised by what he might want to say to you.
So he has paid an incredible price, hasn't he, for us to be able to have that conversation with him. He's paid an incredible price for us to encounter him by the Spirit. So why don't we just stand now and the worship band are going to come and just play a bit to us. Because what I'd love us to do um, before we tuck it, tuck into some refreshments, is um, I don't know if you're used to this, but if would you stand for a moment and if you're if you're comfortable to hold your hands out before God, um, let's do that just as a gesture of openness to Him. If you don't want to do that, it's fine. Um, but the thing I love about this passage is also uh, at the end there. It talks about did our hearts not burn within us? And I just wanted to pray that the Holy Spirit would come and just burn in us. And as he heals us and brings about transformation, that he would sow hope and um, heal sadness. As you urge him to stay, as you get hungry in your own heart to be with him. So we just say, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Burn in us, burn in us by your Spirit now. Burn away in us the stuff we need to let go of. Burn in us with fresh purpose, fresh hope. especially for those who are in the face of um, circumstances that are um, taking you to the limit of what you can endure. Just urge him to stay. Choose him. And if you're confused, you've probably been confused by the church, some of us. It's just an opportunity to choose him. Spirit, I want to pray for understanding and recognition and revelation that we would see everything differently because we've met with you. Jesus, you are alive and that changes everything. May our spirits just be bursting with what that means, the difference it makes as we return to some of the same things. Would you bring fresh hope?
you break the power of disappointment. And I'll say one last thing, which as we just stay in this moment and encounter Jesus, uh, but I, my dream was about someone coming to that table, which is so interesting that Sarah had a thing about a feast. I had a picture of someone coming to the table and they got hold of their edge of the table and they tipped it over. And my thought was that someone gets to that table and they actually feel really angry and they hadn't really faced up to that before, <laughs> before now. So if that's you, he knows. if you can, stay at the table. Tell him, tell him what has made you so angry. And see what happens.